My name is Ashley. I am the Director of Family Ministry and Community Life here at Bethany West Seattle. Steve, I borrowed your music stand. Sorry. Um, Thank you. (laughs) Um, It has been a summer. It is September 2nd right now. We are inching towards fall. Um, For us, it feels like the summer has flown by, just speedy, fast. Um, We've enjoyed the weather Um, we've traveled, we went to see my family in Alabama, we've gone through some trials, some ups and downs, we've laughed a whole lot, Um, but now fall is coming, it's rolling in, and kids are going back to school if they haven't already, which is crazy, I can't believe that that's here, Um, and pumpkin spice lattes are back at Starbucks, so huge, huge time of year. Um, And this is also the time of year, at least for me, that I begin assessing kind of how the last months have gone in my year. Because, you know, it's kind of cyclical. At the beginning of the year, you make a New Year's resolution, and then in spring, you kind of start spring cleaning and, like, cleaning out the cobwebs of your house and giving away clothes and things like that. But fall is really this time to come and say, man, what have I done this year? Am I reaching the goals that I said I was going to reach? Am I, um, do I still have time to get there, um, to get where I said I wanted to be? Um, and as we're moving into this um, season of Christmas, which is coming crazy, um, uh, with talking about Jesus' birth and, uh, you know, this is still, these, these few months that we have left of a calendar year can still be a time of redemption and rebirth and a time to really grab those goals and finish out what we started um, at the beginning of 2018. And, and so that's kind of where I'm at personally, um, trying to move forward into the fall. Um, and, and that's kind of what I want to talk to you about today. I've been assessing personally, I'll share, um, I have two different jobs right now, this being one. I also work in a nonprofit um, just assessing whether or not that's a sustainable way of life for me to have two jobs and work a ridiculous amount of hours throughout the week and have my brain split into two different places all the time. Um, And that's, we're going to talk about work today. It's Labor Day weekend, so it's clever. But um, we're going to talk about work. We're going to talk about if we are assessing work and imagining work and viewing work the way that God designed work to be. Um, And if it's not, how are we living into his calling on our life, no matter what our vocation is? Um, So if we are going to live all of life for the glory of God, which it says in 1 Corinthians 10.31, then we need a God-centered view of work. Um, It's not enough that we try to honor God in what we do at work, how we're nice to people at work, um, things like that. But it's it's, it's not that we support God's work with our money that we get from our work. Um, But God had this different picture of work when he was designing it in the very beginning. Um, So most non-Christians will possibly view work I'm not saying all, but um, the very worldly way of viewing work is a means to an end. 
a way to pay the bills, a way to get fun extra beer money, um, a way to um, get a fat retirement pension, um, just a means to an end, uh, a better life for their kids. And that, I mean, those are not necessarily bad things. Um, and unfortunately, Christians are somehow also seeing work in similar ways, maybe more Christianese kind of ways. Um, oh, I want to work so I can have more money to tithe, or um, I work so I can see these coworkers come to know Jesus or that I can witness to them. Um, so there are these still different, very, very specific ways of viewing work. But our view of work itself is still fundamentally unchanged. We still see work as a means to an end. And we are using work. We're using work. We are not operating in the way that God designed it in the beginning. So uh, we're going to be in it for what we get out of it. Um, God could be honored in the results of your work. For instance, if you do give a lot of money or if you do tell all of your coworkers and friends about Jesus, he could be honored in the results of that, but he is not supreme in the view of work itself. So we're going to go back to the very beginning, to the Garden of Eden, and kind of dive into this original view of what God created work to be. So up on the screen, um, Genesis 2, 7 and 9 and 15, it says, Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. A man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground, the Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Then the Lord took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. So the most notable thing about this passage that we just read is that it takes place before sin enters the picture. It takes place before the fall. Um, so work is not a result of sin. Work was the original design of God. Um, the word cultivate, the, it said at the very end there um, in Genesis 2.15 is actually the Hebrew word for work or service. So when God told Adam to cultivate, he's, you are working and serving this land. The word keep, it carries the idea of care or protection. And so God put Adam, he's still by himself right here, just Adam, in the garden to work and to care for this garden. So work is what Adam was created to do. Work is what we were created to do. It's right there in the beginning, plain as day, God created you to work. And it's only the beginning of the story. So Adam started tending this garden, this Garden of Eden, and but God, he had much bigger plans in mind. And so we're going to keep reading um, in Genesis. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. 
and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So the, the vision was for Adam's dominion to, over the garden to spread and to expand into this dominion over the entire earth. Um, by producing godly offspring, teaching these offspring to work, um, Adam and Eve were supposed to subdue or care for or, or yeah, subdue over all creation. The language of subduing and ruling, um, it mirrors what God did in creation um, by creating, uh, turning chaos into order. So God was turning chaos into order, and this was some of the same picture that Adam and Eve were supposed to do as they were subduing this creation that was to expand over the entire earth. Um, and they were supposed to turn the entire earth into the Garden of Eden. And it, it doesn't happen by magic. It's not, it wasn't supposed to happen by magic, but it was supposed to happen by them cultivating it and their effort, and the work that they put in. So um, a lot of theologians call this that we just read um, a cultural mandate, um, the cultural mandate, and that God was mandating humans to create culture. Um, and Adam and Eve was, were going to produce children, and those children will create families, and those families will band together in cities and social networks, and the networks of human beings will reflect all aspects of human culture, language, art, music, food, philosophy, theology, everything. Um, it was all right there to start. The vision was painted to move forward. And if you flip to the end of the Bible, like we started at the beginning, now we're going to go to the end. In Revelation, um, the end of the story, we see a picture of a new heaven and a new earth. And it's no accident that the ultimate biblical picture of redeemed humanity is a city. Because that's the way that God designed this cultural mandate from, to work from the small garden to this huge, beautiful, perfect, lush garden of earth. A city reflects human culture in its most developed and complex forms, and God's purpose for humanity started in a garden, but it culminates to a greater cultural center. And God didn't just intend for Adam and Eve to, put, to have babies and plant trees, but they were meant to exercise dominion over all of creation, turning the entire earth into the showcase of glory and beauty and the majesty of God and working for it and caring for it. So work was designed from the beginning, and the ultimate goal was for every aspect of life and culture to be saturated with the beauty and the glory of God. And so we have that. We've looked at the beginning. We looked at this design, and we see that work is what we are created for, but what happens when sin enters the picture? So let's, let's keep reading a little bit in Genesis 3. Then to Adam, God said, Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground. So we can see that because of the fall, because sin entered the picture, work is cursed. 
Work is hard. Work involves now sweat and toil and thistles and thorns or stress and overtime and bad bosses and whatever that is. Work is now cursed. Um, Not everything in the world of work is how it should be. Um, But work is still good at the root. It's important that we see both the goodness of work in God's original creation and the struggle of work um, under the fall. Because if we only see the good things about work then and how God designed this beautiful picture of work in the beginning, then we'll be frustrated when things don't go how we think they should go. And if we only see the bad, then we have a hard time doing our work for the glory of God. So work's not all good, work's not all bad. It's part of God's good creation, which is tainted by the fall. And God is at work now to redeem work. So let's keep going. We're going to jump to Romans. Romans eight twenty through 21 says, The creation was subjected to frustration and hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. Through us, God is after the renewal of creation. We are the vessels that God is using to renew this picture, this original design that God had. Grace doesn't just change our eternal destiny. It changes our entire worldview, um, our entire basis for living. And through us, God's redemption is extended into the world around us. So our redemption in Christ, the fact that we know and love Jesus, is the thing that transforms our work, that, tra- that transforms everything we do. Now, as believers, no longer is work a necessary evil. No longer are we using work as a means to an end, but we're allowing the fact that we know Christ, that we have been redeemed by Christ to impact our work, to impact our life, to transform the world. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Um, Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to him through the Father. When you show up at your job, you're there for the glory of God. God wants to be honored in what you do, how you do it, um, and that means whatever you do. So um, I had this question about what to do, like how to glorify God in work. And we're going to talk a little bit more about vocation and calling and things like that in a second. But um, no matter where you are, what season of life you are from just, I don't know, a college student all the way to you're retired from an actual profession, um, you are still in the midst of working something. God has called you and is continuing to call you to work something. Okay, I'm going to get on a tangent. We'll come back to that, I promise. Um, But what are some of the ways that God can be glorified in your work? So I wrote out a list of this, and I'm not going to read it all. But if you're interested in having some Bible verses and some actual action steps to how God can be glorified in your work, please come see me after. I can give you a list of stuff and would love to talk about this with you some more. But... um, just a few things of how God can be glorified in your work is he's glorified when you put your whole self into your work, um, when you're honest, even when it hurts, um, when you do your work 
prayerfully, when you um, plan diligently for the future, when you live simply and give generously, um, and God is glorified when you rest from work. Um, So I have a list of these. Again, if you guys want to talk with me after, I'd love to give you that list of just some verses and some ways that God writes out in Scripture how he's glorified through the things that we do. Um, So uh, I want to talk about calling for a little bit because I have a weird relationship with this word of calling um, because I think that we as Christians or the church has maybe turned this into this weird word of you're into ministry or God is verbally going to call you audibly to something, um, and that's not necessarily the case. So when I was in college at Auburn University, who beat the Huskies yesterday, no, Four Eagle, thank you. Um, so I had already wrote that in before this happened, so <laughs> prophecy is happening right here. Um, <laughs> so when I was in college, I went through four different majors before landing on one. Um, I was like teaching psychology. I mean, it was, it was a mess um, because I had this, this idea that God was going to tell me what to do or it was going to come to me in this like shining dream that I would be called into this thing. And I felt this pull towards ministry and I wanted to, to work somehow tied into ministry. But um, I just had this love-hate relationship with this idea, and I finally landed on a major. I studied social work, but not because I wanted to be a social worker, but because I had to choose something at some point in time. And so at some point, you have to just choose and work towards it, which I'm glad I did. It was wonderful. Um, But on one hand, God is this relational being, so he has to call people into certain things. Um, But on the other hand, there seems to be these two classes of Christians, those who do regular work and those who do ministry. And um, when I joined, when I started doing full-time ministry back in 2012, um, one of my mentors was even telling this to me. (laughs) Like, God is going to call, ministers have a special calling that other people don't have. Um, If you're doing ministry in the world, whether it be missions or church or whatever, you have a special calling. And um, so I would go out and raise support and being like, I have this special calling and you don't, so you should give me money so I can do it. And um, man, that was so wrong. (laughs) Um, It was not right. And after I, um, I, that's when I asked people and I raised support. It was great. I entered into full-time ministry. I became a missionary. I started working in a church after that. And, um, but somebody pointed out to me a few years later um, that the root of the English word vocation is the Latin verb voca, which means to call. So that shows that at one point in time, every vocation or every profession was a type of calling. It wasn't necessarily into this calling of ministry. It was just a calling. Um, So whether you're a minister or a mechanic or you're raising babies or you are, insert your job, insert your passion, insert what God is speaking to your heart right now about what you're supposed to be doing. 
Um, you don't work because it pays the bills you, or because it's personally fulfilling. You're working because um, it glorifies God. Um, so I'm going to show you a quick video, hopefully. Um, we're going to see if the tech works this morning. Um, and this video is about a lady named Michelle, and I want you to just take a little gander about how she is glorifying God and what she is doing. I'm wanting to love them for who they are. Like those aviators. She's cute. There we go. I'm wanting to love them for who they are. Give me the thumbs up if we need to ditch this. One more time? We got one more time in this, everybody? Okay. All right, I'm going to just keep going, and if we can get it, awesome. If not, also awesome. Um, so I'll, I'll give you a brief synopsis of what is on this video. Michelle is a hairdresser, and it's about two minutes of her explaining that every person that comes and sits in her chair, every person that she cuts or washes or blow dries their hair is an opportunity for her to, to glorify God. Um, she talks about how a guy sat in her chair and he, and the, the first time I'm getting chill bumps, even thinking about it. I really like, I'd like for her to tell it, but she, um, the first time he sits in her chair, he reveals to her that he has a drinking problem and that's a part of her past. And she's able to minister and love him every time he comes to get his haircut. Um, and show God to him every single time. So she takes every person that she interacts with and every person who sits in her chair is this opportunity. It's an opportunity to glorify God, um, and that is how we can partner with God as he is redeeming this view of work in our lives by doing everything for his glory, by taking a step back and looking at work in a different way. So if you're sitting in front of a computer all day, taking a step back, seeing what you're doing um, and how it's impacting the world, how it's changing lives, um, no matter how big, how small. Um, but by being receptive, um, just like Michelle is, and then I can also send this, I'll put this on the Facebook page, you can watch this video later. Um, but how being receptive to how God is going to use you. Um, so I've tried to sketch this broad theology of work for you. There is so much to be said, 
and to say about how we work and how we live our lives and use our faith and let our faith interact with our work. Um, But how should this knowledge that we now have about how God's design for work and his redemption of work continuing through us and in us today, how does that affect what we do tomorrow? Well, not tomorrow, because most of us are taking the day off. Um, But on Tuesday or Wednesday or whatever, how is... How is this knowledge of God's design going to affect what we do? Um, so I have a few an- answers. Okay. Do you want to watch the video? They said they gave me the thumbs up. Okay. I'm wanting to love them for who they are, where they are in that moment whatever that looks like. That is the person that I've been entrusted with for that half hour to four hours or whatever. And I'm, I'm called to do something for that person in that time. I had a, a brand new client sit in my chair and the second time I cut his hair divulged a drinking problem he has. I didn't know this guy for more than 45 minutes. And I'm like, wow. But it's interesting who God put in my chair because there's a history of that. I have a history of that. So I didn't have to say anything. He just kind of, and I just listened. And over the course of our relationship, over the following years, it was so hard. How did you do this? He would ask questions during a haircut. I mean, it's a haircut. When people get real, and that's another thing people tend to do in my chair, they tend to get real pretty quick, which I love, I love. Um, but it's, it enables me to, to further come alongside of them. And that might be what I'm supposed to be here for, and that's good enough. Yeah? When I very first moved to California, So many people that sit in my chair are going through so many things in life that, you know, you wouldn't... It's said that we're told more than most bartenders. Uh, So part hairdresser, part therapist, part counselor. And I take that part pretty seriously. So I like it when people leave feeling better than when they came in. And if they like their hair on top of it, it's kind of a good thing. I like how in the beginning she said that God has in, or she's been entrusted with this person and that she is called to love them over the time that she has them in her chair. I think that's so cool that uh, it really is a testament to no matter what your profession is, no matter what your vocation is, no matter what you do day in and day out, God has the ability and wants to use you um, to redeem this idea of work and to, to use you um, to glorify him. So again, just jumping back, um, <clears throat> how does this knowledge affect what we do moving forward? So first, um, the first thing I can give you is um, just work hard. Uh, 
do everything, go to work tomorrow or next month or next year and just do your best. Um, be the best employee, be the best coworker, be the best manager, be the best associate, be the best data entry person there is out there. Um, seek to be known as the most honest and the most reliable and the most humble and the most ethical um, because people are watching. And don't do this to advance your career, but instead to honor God. So you're working hard to honor God. Um, if you desperately want your coworkers to come to know Jesus, but you have a habit of not showing up to work on time and being late and leaving some slack for other people to pick up, um, people are going to get annoyed and your witness is going to be compromised because you're, you're leaving space for other people to pick up the pieces. Um, and God's not honored in that. And there are already enough people like that. So don't be one of them. Uh, second, don't expect work um, and life at work to be peachy. Um, we all know and, <laughs> and have worked with probably these like super happy Christians that go to work thinking that because they know Jesus that everything is going to work out and they're going to be <clears throat> so happy and it's going to be great. Nothing can go wrong. Um, and that's just... Not what is true. It's not. Um, you might miss your quota. You might get fired. You might have to fire someone. You might have a disagreement with a coworker <clears throat> or your boss. But that doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't love you or that God isn't is punishing you. Um, <clears throat> sorry. Remember um, when we talked about the fall? There are thorns and thistles. Like work is hard now. Work is cursed. It's affected by the fall. And it doesn't always work out the way that we think that it should. Um, so have this massively God-sized view of the holiness of work, of the way that God designed work to be in the beginning. Um, but be realistic because Jesus has not come back yet. So <clears throat> third, uh, learn the Ten Commandments, um, especially the fourth one, which is the one I am the most guilty of not following, um, and that is the Sabbath. You probably have been breaking it your whole life. Um, I have, for sure, hands down. Uh, David and I are overschedulers. We say yes to way too many things. Um, we, we just do, and that um, is a habit that we're trying to stop doing. I think it will be a lifetime process for us. Um, but now is the good time to try and stop doing that. Um, the way that culture works, the way the world works now, it's crazy. It's easy to have something to do every single day and to fill your life with people and things. Um, but rest is this deeply spiritual thing. Um, and God wants to be a regular part of the weekly rhythm of your life. Um, the best thing you can do for yourself, it's the best thing you can do for your employer, for your career, for your work, for everything, um, is to set out one day a week. And if you're like me, who doesn't necessarily get that, I do have two jobs that sometimes runs over into seven days a week. Um, if it's a scheduling thing and you can't have one day a week where you rest or Sabbath or whatever that looks like for you, take a day a month. You know, people are scheduling a day a month off because... I don't know, they're hungover, or their dog died, or something happened. Like, 
it's okay if you take a day for yourself and to, to walk with God, to Sabbath truly. Um, so don't feel guilty about it. Um, learn, 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 learn to Sabbath. Um, learn to pray the Lord's Prayer. Um, there's a reason that Jesus taught his disciples to pray the way that he did. Um, Jesus knew that we become what we pray. Um, and when our prayers focus on all our things and the things that we want or the things that we need or um, just our selfishness, that kind of turns us into that. And it becomes us, we become self-centered people. Um, but this Lord's Prayer is all about God's kingdom and God's glory um, and his plan and his will. So use that pattern to help you um, remember that work is about God and not about you. Um, because that's a perfect example of how we can be praying to honor God. Um, so the band is going to make their way back up. Um, and let's just remember throughout this coming, the coming weeks, the coming months, the rest of 2018 um, as we finish out our year and continue to push forward to these goals that we set at the beginning of the year. Um, let's remember what Paul said to um, the Colossians in chapter 3. He said, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. And that's true whether you're preaching sermons, cutting hair, changing Amazon's websites, um, raising babies, whatever it is that you do. Um, that's true. So let's pray. God, thank you um, for revealing this plan to us. Um, of work, God, your great design of work and how you intended it. Lord, thank you for this in insight to see the things that you were picturing, to see the things that you wanted, God. Uh, use us, Lord. May, may we be vessels to help redeem this world, God, to redeem this idea of work. God, um, Lord, challenge us to be strong. Challenge us to... Um, work hard, to Sabbath well, God, um, whatever it may be, whatever is, you are laying on our hearts right now, Father. Um, but thank you for calling us to your work. In Jesus' name, amen.